Welcome to You Must Chill, the weekly podcast on all things scream-free. My name is John Allen Turner. That guy right over there in a gray sweater is Hal Edward Runkel. Hal, how are you today? I'm admiring your gray sweater. Oh, thank you. Look yeah, at us. Yes. Sweater weather. It is. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. And it actually it. feels like we've got a real fall on our hands. Well, the leaves have been quite lovely. And But sometimes... And chill it, in the air. Here in Atlanta, while the leaves might change, it'll still be... 65 degrees, 70 degrees outside. You know, it's hard to get into kind of the holiday spirit, as it were, when it's when it's 70 degrees outside. Well, it's easier for me because I was used to it being 80 degrees <laughs> sure, growing Houston. up in Houston, yeah, yeah, Texas. Yeah. Houston, and I, California was this way too. Growing up in California, I remember, I uh, must have been my sophomore year in college, uh, my grandparents, my grandmother was still alive. She lived in San Diego. And and I remember driving to my grandmother's house. It was Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And I was stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. So you're stopped on the freeway. And it was, it was warm. Yeah. It was probably 68, 70 degrees. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to close my sunroof and turn my air conditioner on if wow. it gets any warmer. And on the radio comes, you know, winter wonderland well, or whatever. Sucks. Yeah, exactly. And I thought, this yeah. is wrong. Like, mm-hmm. this is something wrong with this picture. Well, it's because our image of Christmas has been completely dominated <laughs> by the Northeast. It's true. Completely It, it really is dominated. true. Well, you know the, so- the story of... Um, Oh, uh, the song that Mel Torme wrote, you know, Chestnuts Roasting yes. on an Open Fire. Do you know the story of that song? He wrote the Christmas song? He wrote that song, yeah. Really? He, uh, uh, Mel Torme and, and Robert Wells wrote it during the hottest heat wave in the history story. of You're California. And they were right. up at one of their homes in the Hollywood Hills, and they had a swimming pool. Mm. But they're trying to cool themselves down, so they started trying to come up with phrases that would remind them and try to cool themselves down sort of mentally, psychologically. So what do you think of when you think of winter? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, Yuletide carols being said. That's how they wrote that song. Amazing. Came out of the hottest heat wave ever. Well, another story related to that is my favorite, you and I have talked about this, my favorite piece of acting on film that I have ever seen. Tom Hanks? No. He's second. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah. So, so it's, uh, it's Tom a, Hanks in um, Forrest, uh, Gump Forrest Gump saying, is he, when he first when sees he, his son, yeah. and says, is he stupid Although, or is he Although Tom smart? Hanks in this new one. Captain Phillips, that, that scene. End, uh, that scene at the end, no spoilers. Shock, yeah, but when he's being examined, it's. It's, it's, a, it's a top five oh, all time man, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your favorite one My is favorite. actually, I forgot this. It's, it's from A Wonderful, a wonderful Life. Life. Yeah. Right. And it's, and it's, I'm not alone in this. People have said this a lot. But, sure. But it's when he's at the bar. He's left the family. Yeah. He's going to jail. He thinks he's broke, and he's at the bar, and he prays. Yeah. And he says, dear God in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if there's any way, right? And he is sweating and trembling. He, well, he really was an underrated actor. Oh, just, and, of course, mm. that movie. And it is strange to me that mm-hmm. during Christmas time is the is. Maybe the one time of the year we'll allow ourselves to watch a movie that we've watched a hundred times. Oh, I don't actually allow myself. I you almost a, force it. No, yeah, it's a it, ritual. It really is. There are it's, there are about eight. It's almost like Greek theater. You know, Greek theater happened during festival times, mm-hmm. and they they would repeat the same stories over and over again. But it would that was part of the festival. Mm. That was part of the 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 journey that you took yourself on 
was exposing yourself to it. And I think uh, Christmas Carol is one of those. Sure. And, and uh, uh, certainly, It's a Wonderful Life, even though we well, all know how it ends. Now there's a new one. Oh, my goodness. Elf. There are rumors. Well, no, oh, well, no, 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 no. Oh, I thought I'm you were sorry, talking about no, the sequel. Have you new... heard about that? Don't get me started. Oh, my word. There's what? not a sequel. It's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. All kinds of... Hollywood is officially out of ideas if they do that. If, oh, a sequel to It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, my goodness. Oh. So anyways, that scene... Elf, but Elf is Elf is, is a new classic, yeah, okay, of course. Right. Uh, wait, that scene oh, that's where, what we were talking yes, about. Yeah. where he is trembling mm-hmm. and sweating. Dear God in heaven, I'm not a praying man. Well, it was like 95 degrees in that room in the middle of the summer. So that's why he's sweating. It's, <laughs> yeah, I saw an interview with him. He is literally sweating because he's yeah. bundled up, right? Sure. Because it's supposed to be cold outside. And so he and then he had to do that whole running scene at the end, you know, Merry Christmas, oh, Bedford goodness. Falls. Yeah. Well, that is, he is sweating in that fake snow. Because it's fake snow and it's yes. uh, it's, it's like insulation, oh yeah. So it's really, really hot. But I saw saw that that was the first time they used that particular kind of fake snow, and it revolutionized cinema from then on. Wow! They didn't have to wait till winter now because of that. You know that movie did not do well when it, when first, it first came, came out. out no. Yeah, it was widely panned, and it. Yeah. But it's got legs, that's for sure. Here we sit, oh with sixty goodness. years later. Is that? Is it 60 years since it that movie 46. came out? It was 46. Goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it is the holiday season, and we're getting bundled up in sweaters, and we actually lit a fire for the first time the other night mm. in the house. Now, you have a real fireplace? We have a real fireplace, yes. You're a man. Yes. No. I try to be. I just flip a switch. <laughs> I, I did post this on Facebook the other day that uh, while I'm trying to light this fire, that sometimes when I'm trying to get the logs in the fireplace to burn, Mm -hmm. I think to myself, how in the world do forest fires get started? Mm -hmm. Because these things will not, it's like trying to light a brick. Right. I don't know how that's even, how does it happen accidentally? I can't even do it on purpose. It's usually lightning. Well, so that's why I need lightning in a bottle. You need, wow. Wow. That's it, folks. Thanks for tuning in. It's it's all downhill. Now, in addition to it being holiday season, um, it's an interesting, uh, yeah. It's an interesting week, time. This, this, week. this week, it's it's we're deep into November now, yeah. And um, and it's the fiftieth anniversary of the assassination right. of John F. Kennedy. That I was watching a special. I've watched numerous specials, and I'm sure lots of folks have because they've been all over the place. Sure, I watched uh, Tom Brokaw was on uh, the Daily Show okay. last night, and Indeed. he's got a new book and he's got a new special. Okay. Where were you? Oh, when? And, and he actually goes to Dallas and he interviews a lot of those yeah. kind of business men and women who owned little stores right there mm. along the route. Wow, I watched a an interview. Fareed Zakaria did an interview with you know the those. Extensive LBJ biographies. That oh were yeah, done. yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert. Oh shoot. What was that guy's yeah. name? Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it's an interview with him because he's got uh, he's took an excerpt from it and made it into an ebook called uh, something called November twenty second or okay. something like that. And and the way he was talking about it, he says it is it is like speaking. It's like Greek mythology. Yeah. That death. That assassination at the height of popularity. Yeah. Right? Now, his power was dwindling. That was interesting. There was some things. That the, his civil rights bill was dying on the vine. But his his popularity because was, of the glamour yeah, sure. with, with, you know, he... With his wife and, 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 and Jackie. And his brother is in the yes. White House, too. I mean, it really is this it's sort of Camelot, idyllic all that period. stuff. Yeah. And then he's saying, you know, it's the closest the a republic could ever get to a king 
dying and then having a procession because he showed and they showed all these pictures of the funeral. Oh my gosh! And, and that picture of well, JFK Jr. is unbelievable. With salute, yeah, oh my, God, just tear yes. your heart out. But he's talking about how the flag at the very end of the processional was his personal Navy flag that he got oh. for being a Navy hero. Yeah, so, so here's a, you know? a veteran, yes, who uh, a decorated veteran who served combat mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. right? And then he goes on to be a very uh, popular, and he's fairly attractive. He's yes, young. He's energetic. So. He's got little kids running through the White House. And he says, "You will. We can mark time from November twenty first, nineteen sixty three, November twenty third. Wow! It was like a hinge. Yeah, he says yeah. one of the hinges. We will see one of the hinges in all of history. Hmm. It, because it happened at the most powerful." It, it, we were we've never been as powerful or as wealthy compared to the rest of the world as we were right then. Thir- as a nation, as a nation, thirty five percent of the the nation or na- the global wealth global was consolidated domestic here. Yes, yeah, just insane. No one had ever had that right, and it, and it, but then it changed because he was saying contrast that day with five years from then when LBJ can see fires and hear chants. Uh, basically saying, uh, way to go, LBJ, uh, something like, how many kids did you kill today? Oh, the Vietnam. The Vietnam. Yeah. What happened in the nation? It really was a sea change, because then you've got the the sexual revolution comes in, the the don't trust anyone. Over 30. Over 30, you know, really anti-authoritarian stuff starts coming in, and... Some of the politicians, um, you know, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that was cloaked sure. before begins coming out. The, the, we've had this conversation before that that's the problem with transparency in our government is we get we have to see now all of how the sausage gets made. And it's very, very difficult to get any negotiations done that way. Yeah. So all of that stuff starts coming out. Now we don't trust right. the government. When, then you've got Watergate that comes on oh, the heels yes. of that, and it just well, has and Vietnam, this death spiral. And almost. Vietnam is the is the crux behind sure, it all. Yeah. And what's interesting though is he was saying that LBJ made a comment that fall in 1963. Okay. okay? And I know this is going to foment conspiracy theories, oh, sure. right? But he made a comment to his aides, his strongest aides. He was vice president, right? And his strongest aides that have been with him through his senator career in Texas, whatever, said, look, I've got some job opportunities. And he said, you might as well go take him because I'm finished. LBJ said that. He anticipated that he would not be the vice president. Much longer. If JFK got elected for a second term. Wow. So he said, I'm finished. And then the unthinkable happens. Sure, and, and all of a sudden he gets he becomes yeah. the next president for five years. Which wow. entered, but he said, "I've he said, look, I've done more research on LBJ than anybody. I've never seen anything that would ever indicate that he knew anything about yeah, it yeah, or yeah. was involved I in it that. whatsoever." And now, obviously, we're going to get email from people who are going to sure. beg to differ in the Zapruder film and all that kind of but stuff. The the idea of not knowing exactly what happened. The, 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 yeah. yeah, throwing so much doubt because the Warren Commission was bung, bungled it in so yeah, they really many ways, did. Yeah, right? Yeah. That kind of led to this demand for... And this yeah. height of suspicion about our government. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we do not trust our government fundamentally anymore. But it's, it's what a lot of people don't know is 
um, the same day that C.S. Lewis died, or th- that that JFK died, C.S. Lewis, oh, Christian author, as well as also uh, died. Uh, uh, an author Huxley. of uh, uh, all kinds of nonfiction things as well. True, but, yes, and Aldous Huxley. Yes, so the three of them died all, all the same at time. Same time, right? And that would be and now. Peter Kraft is a, a a Catholic writer up at uh, Boston. College, I think it is. Uh-huh. Maybe it's Boston University. And he wrote a book. It's kind of fascinating yeah. about what the conversation between the three of the them, three of them would be like. You know, like fifteen minutes after they die. So Aldous Huxley, he he wrote Brave New World. Yes, right, which everybody probably read in high school. Sure, you know, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was all his popular that. fiction Chronicles series. Chronicles of Narnia sure. and all that kind of stuff. But and also three, mere Christianity and three extremely intelligent, influential, men influential men who have very different. Worldviews, yes, and so just that conversation would be fascinating to listen in on. Interesting. You know what? It, it, I don't know if you if you play this game or not, but uh, celebrities tend to die in threes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We always we always like to think that everything happens in threes. It, well, comedy happens in threes. It does. Tragedy. Tragedy doesn't tend to happen in threes. It happens in one giant meteoric right. You know, thud. But tragic plays happen in threes. At least Greek ones. Yeah, that's true. But not Shakespearean. He did no. five. Yeah. Yeah, five acts. But it's interesting. We like to, we like numbers. We, you know, <laughs> we, we like to put. Our brain likes to find those patterns. Because mine what... does, especially. I tend, I tend in the OCD direction. And so I love the, the neatness of that. Well, like one of the ones I get fascinated by is how many rock stars have died at the age of 27. Yeah. And, and? it continued with Amy Winehouse. Oh my goodness, that's true. Amy yeah. Winehouse, obviously Kurt C- Cobain, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, all at 27 years old. Wow. How but, old is Justin Bieber? <laughs> that's that's just terrible. Was that, that was is, a is terrible that, thing is that to say, wishful wasn't it? thinking? I, no, is that what I just you're I was just it was a curiosity. Good it was night. just curiosity. That's all. I think he's only still 21 or something. Uh, so yeah. I got 6 more Good years of that guy. Lord. <laughs> You're an awful human being. I am a terrible human being. Send all your awful hate mail to me. human being. John T. at screenfree.com. Mm-hmm. But this idea of death, mm. the specter of death. Well, and that's the thing about the JFK thing. It wasn't just death. It was like, boom, out, out of nowhere. And there was on no, yeah. film. Yeah. And in front got, of the nation, in front of the world. She's got brain matter. and blood on her dress. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's unthinkable. It's it's just I mean you think about how many things came together there to to make that such a seminal event. The fact that for the first, you know, I mean it it hadn't the technology to broadcast something like that live. Right. hadn't been around for very long. Right. The fact that most people had television sets in their house at that time well that was one of the things that this that didn't have that hadn't been around for very long at all and and that was one of the things this guy pointed out the historian was pointing out how for the next four days Mm -hmm. the average american household was on t watching television for eight hours wow and it's not like they had 24 uh channels to choose from i mean it really was sort of uh, that generation's our generation's equivalent of it is 9-11 right Right. We ask, where were you sure. when the plane flew into the tower or when the towers came down? Or, you know, before that, you and I had Challenger. Yeah, well. 1986 yeah. when the Challenger. 84. No, it was 86. 86. Yes, 86. it was 86. I was in junior high. Um, uh, you were like. You I was in high school. Really? You weren't, you weren't like already out working? No. And no. <laughs> 86, like, it actually was a, a snow day here oh, in, really? in uh, Atlanta. So you were at home? 
So I was actually at my friend Jeff Hayden's house, and we were uh, playing ping pong and just goofing around. Mm. Do you know there's a movie coming out about that? Yeah. About Challenger? Yeah. yeah. I saw, I saw it, some of the... Yeah, Jeff... Um, uh, da- Daniels? Daniels. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. On History Channel or something yeah, like something, that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, we were actually in school because we were all set to watch it because the teacher oh, the teacher was on this. It was oh, the first right. time yeah, the teacher Christine had gone... McAuliffe? Uh, McAuliffe. And so we were all sitting around the TV. Yay! Mm. Did you watch it? Oh, oh we watched it live. Gracious. Big class of us. Poor teacher. Of course, I was in the same... I was teaching. Wow. Uh... uh during 9-11. I was in high school. I was in, a, in uh, a graduate program. Um, I was actually in a classroom uh, learning advanced hermeneutics, and I was arguing with my professor when somebody came by and said, uh, there's something going on. You guys mm, need to come down to the faculty lounge. Mm. So, we, I was told over the intercom, turn on your TV. Wow. I was teaching seniors and had a, actually uh, had a couple of Muslim students in the classroom, and I remember one of them... Mm. Uh, came, what we were watching him standing together and I got to be good friends with this kid I really liked him a lot and he was saying uh, uh, please don't make it be a Muslim please mm. don't let it be a Muslim mm. right? it was, but it, it's interesting to think about these these in, uh, enormous events right I, enormous watershed yeah, and they really are kind of markers in time yeah, the water and anyone goes, yes. your age or around your age it becomes a point of conversation where were you right when such and such happened. And it's this death stuff. It's fascinating. I've been watching some of these specials with my kids. And, you know, again, the graphic nature of it. Yeah. I mean, his head is blown to bits. It just exploded. And she's reaching back for his to, ear and yeah. brain. And, oh, my. I mean, it's right there. And they've seen it again and again and again, right, with the Zapruder film over and over yeah. and over again. It's just remarkable that it's right there. There is no hiding our kids mm-hmm. from this. No shielding from it. Well, yeah. It, it, same thing with the uh, uh, Challenger. Oh, yeah. I mean, we watched it explode. School children all over the place witnessed it yes. live. And there's no... Uh, yeah, there's there's not an edited version of that. There's not a PG version of that. No. No. And, and so it, it begs the question about how do we raise our kids in a way that prepares them for the realities and the fragilities of life. Without just being this morose, yes. you know, morbid, death-oriented person. Hold on to everybody you got. That's right. Well, remember, you never know when they're gone. My, I mean, my mother started saying this stuff like when I was 14. I just want us all to be together oh, for Christmas. Oh. I don't know how many more of these we can we have where all of us are together. You know, oh my goodness. You feel really good about that. Yeah. yeah you good, can tell. Yeah, it's yeah, a good memory. I, I, right that's there. a fantastic family memory. Yeah. Don't even don't even get me started on decorating the Christmas tree. That's oh, yeah. Really? We'll have to talk I, about that in a few weeks. I have weeks nervous then. twitches about that one. Oh, lovely. Lovely. But so, this idea that um and and my mother First of all, she grew up in a different era, but also she was exposed to death that was very close to her at an early age. I think she was 11 when her brother Paul died of leukemia, Mm. and that was a a pivotal moment in her life. And then her father died at a fairly early age. I was uh, maybe two or three when he died of a heart attack, and within six months, uh, her other another one of her brothers drowned. Oh, jeez. So she like death yeah. was this kind of just hovering around my mother. And yeah, I, I had that with my mother and grandmother as well. My grandmother's uh, parents 
one in the Spanish influenza, 1918, oh, wow. one died, then the next day the other one died. Wow. Nine kids. Yeah. They, and then they got farmed out to different family members or whatever. And then that was my, my granny and her husband then died at 42 from cancer wow. out of nowhere. And so my mom was 17 or, and my, it was, it's actually a great story. My granny uh, didn't even finish high school, had never written a check, wow. had never filled up a car. And now her husband's dead. And so she's got a. She goes to work. Grown up. She goes to the beauty shop in Conroe, Texas. That's what it was called. The beauty, yeah, the sure. beauty shop. And the started, beauty shop, not the beauty parlor. No, it was called the beauty shop. The beauty shop. Actual okay. name. And oh, okay. then she started to, and cutting hair there huh. to help you know pay for raising her two teenage girls. Well, within like five years, she owned the place. Wow. And then for like the next 35 years, it was an institution in that town. Everybody wow. Knew. Yeah, so it's this entrepreneurial spirit. And Dolly Parton played her in the movie. She did. <laughs> she, well, she is scheduled. I've written the script. And, uh, it sounds like, I mean, that is a, that's a total cool. American dream, rags to riches kind right. of yeah, it's movie cool. of the week. But it, com- it's, it comes out of death. And that's, it's, it's. I was you were just talking about how not to be morose. The word was coming. How not to be morbid? Yeah, about morbidity. That's yeah, and that's a tricky balance, and especially during the holidays, because while most of us are yay hooray, the holidays are here. We get to spend time with family and friends and loved ones, and we sing all the songs and we have all the warm fuzzies. There is a significant percentage of the population for whom. The holidays don't necessarily represent a happy time. No. Because for them, I'm thinking about my dad right now. Oh, really? Because Well, you know, my grandmother died yeah. back during the summer. Right. So this will be the first right. Thanksgiving... Without her. Without her. Which is always a big deal. And and now, and my, my mother dealt with this, you know, more than a decade ago, but for my dad, both of his parents are gone. Mm. And so, and he and I were talking about this not too long ago, that... He said, it's weird to be an orphan at 72. Interesting. Well, it's very weird because it's much later than most people are. Exactly, right. yeah. Well, and, yeah. and his mother was not much older than he. Okay. You know, and so, you know, you grow up in the hills of North Georgia and sure. in poverty. There, there's a lot of teenage pregnancy right. back then and even today. So, so there, you know, my dad says that they kind of grew up together in right. many ways. Right. Um, and so she's gone. Now, mentally, you know, she'd been gone for a while. Sure. She suffered from dementia. And, and so it was a long goodbye. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a sudden drop dead kind of thing. But still, there's an emotional uh, vacancy that my father's having to deal with. In the holidays, the holidays. And, and people underestimate it. Yeah. I mean, this, this holiday will be a new experience for a number of people, and it will be because there's been a death. Or, or a divorce. Or a divorce, which is... Or the first time the kids are, are gone, at the, the, their in-laws. Their, exactly, exactly. Or for whatever reason, the, the Thanksgiving Day table is a little emptier, or the Thanksgiving Day turkey is a little smaller yeah. than usual. And it's and it's difficult for folks, and some folks already have bad associations with the holidays. The yeah. thing about it is, it's just you know, it, it, there's a it's a pressure packed situation. Mm-hmm. It's a pressure packed to we want we want so much, even though we've heard and seen, you know, don't make it the Norman Rockwell whatever in your mind, but, but, it's but still we what still you want. we still want it, absolutely still want. It. We want the perfect. Thanksgiving, right. yeah. you know, where everybody stays the perfect amount of time and not one moment longer. Especially when there's been a loss, because yeah. you're, and it's so hard to do anyways. 
Well, you know, yeah. our friend um, uh, David, we were mm-hmm. talking with him yeah, about this. About, uh, you his know, his son is not going to be with him. For right? The first his time son ever. got invited to. To a thing, you know, and, and with, with, some, with friends. some of the friends of the family, you know, and Great they said friends yes. of the family. And... and then later, David was thinking, you know, both his parents are gone, mm-hmm. and so he he doesn't have anybody up in right. the in the family tree. He's only got people it's down. Him, yeah, you know, it's him. So, well, how do you it... navigate this it's... kind of stuff? Like, because uh, grieving death is, is so we don't even like to think about it. We right. don't like to talk about it right. until you have to, of course. But that's dumb. It's inevitable. Your parents aren't going to live forever. Nope. Your kids aren't going to stay in the house forever. Hope not. So how it would be wise for us to prepare ourselves there's somewhat. An, there's an interesting book right now called Necessary Losses, hmm. and it's good. I, I like it a lot, and it's just... Is it similar to Necessary Endings? Like, that was yeah. a book, you yes. know, about how to... Okay. It's, it's, and it's, this, it's just this idea that, look... Life is built on these losses. These are these are not the the unfortunate ad, uh, addendums to life or the unfortunate right. things that accidents. No, these these are you know part and parcel. Yeah, this is part of life. Death right. is part of life. Yes, and no one yet has lived forever. It, yeah, you know, I mean, everyone right. has died. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what was it? Um, uh, Shaw said. That uh, the 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 mortality rate is still one in one, right? You uh, know, did you quote George Bernard Shaw right there. I just did. You did, yeah. But you just know him as Shaw. Yes, he's that's, he's just Shaw. That's to your me. theater background. That's right. That was a little Shavian saying, huh? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I went to school for a you long time did. to learn little things like that. <laughs> wow. Then now I don't. Uh, and now I can't even think about what we were talking about. We're I'm talking so about how by your these erudition. <laughs> That's my word. My it, witty repartee. <laughs> um, we were talking about how death mm. is not. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. But we still like to pretend that it's not there. Yeah. You know? Put it off as long as we can. It's just so different. Like that scene at the end of Lincoln. Yeah. Where he's on the dining room table. Yeah. He's dead. Man, what a tough movie that was. Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah. Loved it. But I mean, he's on the death. I mean, so this was this was how things were done. Yeah. You know? People used to die in their homes. In their homes. And you would leave them on like the dining room table for the day. That was the wake. Not for the day. Like I mean, for, for yes. several days. That was the wake. Yeah. Was in Come your to parlor. The house, yeah. Bring the potluck. Yeah. Everybody bring and, a meal and we'll and eat around Uncle later Fred. Later tonight, I mean, we're all going to go upstairs and go to sleep yes, in our bedrooms. With and dead guy. Dead guy's going to be down there in the parlor. And we are so freaked out by that because, again, we don't want that unfortunateness to infringe upon what we believe we're entitled to is this wonderful, happy life. Right, and I think we want death to happen out there. Yeah. Death happens at the hospice care facility. Death happens over there at some building that right. is sterile and removed from my everyday life. But people, you know, up to 30, 40 years ago mm-hmm. knew death happens at home. Right. Birth happens at home. It's interesting that sterile word. I was thinking about an article that I just saw about how uh, hand sterilizer is actually yeah. bad for you. Yeah. That not unless, o- you, unless you eat it. Because <laughs> then it just cleanses you right <laughs> out. No, it's fantastic. Please don't eat hand sanitizer. <laughs> I, I have to tell everybody, I yes. was joking. That was a joke. Please don't eat hand sanitizer. It's f- excellent for cleaning your uh, whiteboard, though. 
It, it works it, really it, well yeah, for it, that. It, it uh, will not remove the finish on most furniture. There you go. But, but uh, apparently, in an effort to make sterilization uh, easier, quicker, and, and better, we have gone to this. But it's actually doing a couple of things. One, it actually doesn't kill as many bugs as we thought it did. Yeah. And the ones that it doesn't make them even stronger. Uh-huh. So the more that you use it, even though it's completely in our hospitals, everywhere, everywhere. you go. Everywhere. Right, right. Hospitals, schools, yes. churches. The more you use it, A lot it, though, of people carry it around with them. Yeah. It, but compare, they did a side-by-side comparison of, of just that to soap and water, and soap and water destroys it in, in terms yeah. of actual performing what it's supposed to do. But the ongoing sterilization, every time that we're trying to protect ourselves more and more... We end up, first of all, it, uh, it damages your immune system, right? and second of all, it strengthens the bugs you're trying to kill. Which is, it, it, but now we're in a situation where we still have to say, no, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, right? But it would be great if we actually washed your hands rather than use this stuff. Yeah. You know, because this stuff, though, is quicker, cleaner, yeah, easier. Yeah, I don't have to go into a different room to do it. It dries I, you know, I very, can use very it right quickly. Here. Yeah. But every time we take a shortcut to protecting ourselves, whether it's physically like this mm-hmm. or emotionally like Putting death I'll put out death there, away somewhere. Right. Yeah. We actually make that event the, uh, stronger traumatic. and yeah. bigger. It becomes more devastating right. to us now than ever before. Like, uh, and this is really going to foment everybody's anxiety. Oh dear. But here's an article. Foment I'd, twice today, by the way. I've used foment twice. twice. It's, yeah. It's one of my favorite foment words. Foment conspiracy theories, and now foment anxiety. Oh, I like foment. Fomenting is good. What's a what's a synonym for foment? Stir up. Well, that's a lame... Induce. Induce. Okay. Uh, Yeah, yeah, okay. I got it. All right, whatever. You're going to foment. Yeah. Uh, By 2020... No, no, it was. By, like, 2030... Okay. The superbugs that we're creating, and we've been creating by using antibiotics so routinely for any sniffle our kids have. Are they going to kill us all? They're going to rise up and kill us all? It's going to make... No, actually, it was by 2020. We'll have another plague? No. We will uh, have to sign much bigger waivers going into surgery. Wow. Because surgery will become... Just regular routine surgery will become much more dangerous. Huh. Because these bugs because the super bugs will be well like uh, like uh, SARS and MRSA and those kinds of things right now are already starting right and the place you usually get them of course is in a hospital right where they live and breathe and dwell and it's because that's why I don't go to hospitals because there's nothing but sick people there that's that's good weren't you a pastor didn't you like need to go to hospitals. Yeah, well, you had to bring that up, didn't you? Big, yeah, big heart there, Joe. <laughs> um, so, but in the seventies, we loved the quick shortcut that antibiotics. Antibiotics, provided, that's right. Or anything yeah. and everything. No, you don't need to actually Not in the go. Seventies. I don't. No, it was. was it, did it seven, start in the seventies? Well, it started earlier than that. See, because really... I was a pastor, and because my dad was a pastor, I, I, I we never had insurance, so wow. we we just never went to the doctor. Which is why you never get sick. Exactly. And I, I, I literally, you and I were talking about yeah, this yeah. just the other day that I literally have not been to the doctor for being sick in. Maybe a decade. Hmm. I think Dan Powell was the last doctor I saw because I was sick, and that must have been when, right when Eliza was born, and she's twelve. Hmm. So, so it had to be eleven wow. years ago. I I can't I've even, had physicals and stuff like that, but not because I'm sick. I can't even remember the name of my doctor right now. 
And you're naming a guy <laughs> from 12 years ago? I can't remember the name of the guy who operated on my back and filled me with titanium. And you're remembering <laughs> the general P- yeah, whatever family sorry. guy? That's fascinating. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing that happened with that is obviously we, we're creating these super bugs. Yes. You know? But another thing is, uh, you know, my wife's had cancer. Yes, right twice. now, she's had it twice. Well, the first time she got cancer was lymphoma. And, this, and that's a like that's a bad yeah you don't you, you, thing, don't, yeah. you don't want it. it was a big tumor a huge tumor like the size of a cantaloupe inside her chest which was crazy and uh, but there's no history of cancer like that anywhere in her family in her family whatever. Huh? so you know doing some speculation but sure. it turns out there's a lot of research that is that is tying heavy heavy antibiotic usage as a child with development of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma really? later in life wow again we're taking these shortcuts. And it's damaging our immune systems and creating the very thing we're hoping to avoid. And I would say that's not just our physical immune system, but it's damaging our emotional immune system. I can't handle death. And so when it inevitably comes into my life... We try to inoculate ourselves against it or protect against it by putting it out there. We'll let death have its building. Which means we're not inoculating ourselves against it. Exactly. Right? We're we're trying to separate ourselves. We're trying to quarantine ourselves. Yeah, there from you it, go. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah exactly. Quarantining ourselves from the bad things of life doesn't work. It, it's interesting. There's a concept we we learned in family therapy, and it's it's called cutoff. Okay. And it's something families do, unfortunately, all the time. Is we've got some we can't talk anymore, right? So and I so just have to set off. This. And so yeah. you know, and everybody's got them in their family. So it'll come up this Thanksgiving. There'll be somebody who's obviously not the brother who never comes. It's because he's been cut off. Right or there's or he has cut himself off. Now, interestingly enough, yeah, the Hebrew word mm-hmm. for hate is literally translates to cut the other person off. Interesting. What so for a for a Jewish person, and you'll hear, you know, in stereotypical Jewish family yeah. literature, you'll hear, uh, uh, "You're dead to me." Mm-hmm. That that's literally the right. terminology. You're dead. You're cut off. I'm going to behave as if you do not exist. That's hatred. Hatred is not this passionate feeling of ill will towards another person. Hatred is apathy mm. because you don't exist anymore. And you would like they would like to pretend that that's possible. And it's not. It's not. And it's no. fact a Jewish rabbi, one of my <clears throat> gurus, Edwin Friedman, who would talk about the the myth of the cutoff because yeah. what you do. And it's just exactly, it's fine. I've never thought of it this way, but it's it's just exactly like we've done with death or we've done with germs, right? We're trying to quarantine ourselves. Quarantine ourselves, ourselves right? from it, And yeah. so I'm quarantining myself. I'm my mother. I'm cut off from my mother. We never even talk, right? She and so doesn't she, exist. She doesn't exist, right? But he points out, how much emotional energy do you have to exert? To pretend somebody who exists doesn't, doesn't exist. And you're saying you're cut off from her? No, you've just no. made her more powerful in your mind. You've given her a remote control to your yes. emotional well-being. Because you cannot, hand, you cannot find a way to integrate her into your life, and so you're trying to cut her out. But it's, it's just like Obi-Wan said to Darth Vader, strike, strike <laughs> me down, and I'll be more powerful than you can imagine. That's yeah. what happens when we say, well, you're dead to me. No, no, you're just really even more alive in my brain than so you were before. So we have made death more alive mm. by relegating it to a building or a place yeah. somewhere out and there we don't and pretending it, like it doesn't exist. And we don't send our kids, to, we don't take our kids to funerals. Right. Right. 
Let's well, just now pretend. There's, a, there's like a, a weird uh, societal thing that's going on there because it used to be, like when I was growing up, my father was a pastor, and so I went to tons of funerals, dozens of right, funerals of when I was a kid, right? Um, but some of that is because I went to a church that had old people in it. Yeah. And now I go to a church and there are no old people there. No blue hairs, huh? Very few. Right. You know, I mean, we've, we've made churches now. Now, I mean, there are still some out there that, that have a lot of intergenerational uh, diversity. Sure. But for the most part, that doesn't—it's certainly not in well, the contemporary cool church world. Yeah, because all the church I, growth stuff yeah. says you need young families. Exactly. Right? Right. Which you do, but marginalizing the old folks. Again, right. we like to marginalize the old folks, put them in the old folks' home. Well, that. we do that. They do that, too. Yes. They don't like— the loud music. Well, I don't they want to don't say. Like let's the, just, you know, let's not say they well, as if know, it's an actual distinct group. Right. But right. They're, and we're they're, stereotypes. They're not, yeah. Exactly. We're blanket statements. But there's a. They're a, not a, monolithic. I get that. They don't vote as a block. Sure. But but oftentimes, while we are marginally marginalizing them, they are also sure. marginalizing themselves. But it is it is a, incumbent upon us, I think, uh, leaders of our families, to actively incorporate older folks into our kids' lives. Right. Right? And and go to a funeral of somebody that they befriended. Every once in a while, I have a really good idea. Mm-hmm. And as I look back over the landscape of my life, one of the best ideas I ever had, and particularly one of the best ministry ideas I ever had when I worked in the church world, was uh-huh. this. It was after I... Uh, after 9-11. Okay. And I was... While I was in graduate school at the time, I was also pastoring a church. And that church had a broad diversity of ages. Mm-hmm. So I came back to the church, and I set up a meeting in my living room where I invited, I don't know, six or eight of the oldest members into my house, and I invited the entire youth group in as well. Okay. And I asked the youth group to uh, sort of just explain where they were, how they found out about what was going on on 9-11. Okay. And then I turned to the older folks and I asked them to share their memories of December 7th, 1941. Mm, wow. And to talk about how different those two experiences were. You know, because the kids were able to watch it watch live. It live right. You know, and uh, for some of those older folks, they were hearing about it on the radio. Yeah, turning on the wireless. Turning on the wire, you know, and yeah. gathering around the radio. And what, what were you able to do? What were you not able to do? And just bringing that kind of shared common experience, mm. uh, I think was very healing. It honored those older folks. Yeah. And it also, I think the younger folks gained a new appreciation for right. everything they had experienced. Right. You know? So I think there is something healing about that intergenerational community. Well, especially, if you think about it, this connects what we've been talking about. You, you're actually bringing a connection around tragedy. Yeah. You know, uh, where were you on Pearl Harbor? Where were you, right, 9-11? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So now that we have this, uh, cele- I don't know, commemoration yeah. of November 22nd, 63, well, that can be a great time to have conversations about Challenger. Sure. With your kids. Here's, you know, because I, I, was. I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah. But also, bring in grandparents. Talk to them. Like, ask your grandmother. Where were you, where were you? when you found out about right. Kennedy? So, hey, how about this? This Thanksgiving, be bold enough to initiate a conversation. But that would mean we have to turn the TV off, Hal. Yeah. 
You're right. It's hopeless. That's dumb. Yeah. What a dumb idea. There's football. (laughs) And a Macy's Day Parade and all that kind of stuff. Turn the TV off. Have conversations. And, like, plan it a little bit in advance. Mm. There's nothing wrong with having a little bit of an agenda for your conversation. Well, you can do it or do it around the Thanksgiving table sure. when you're eating. That you're not watching TV. Hopefully, you're not watching TV hopefully. while you're eating. Yeah, turkey. you're not with TV trays and stuff like that. Yeah. So have that conversation and ask, and the, try not to put the kids' table out in the garage. That's another thing, you know? right? We separate them out because right. we don't want them messing with the good china or whatever. Interesting. And a lot of times it's because of spatial concerns or whatever. But why can't you put an old guy out there? (laughs) You know? Put one old guy. (laughs) One old guy with the kids. (laughs) (laughs) These whippersnappers. I mean, why can't you? (laughs) (laughs) My grandpa would have loved to do that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, a lot of times the the older folks would rather be out there than in with us. He didn't want to deal with his kids. He liked us much better. Hey, let's go look at the tractor. This year, for whatever reason, we we, my sister and brother in law are going to be gone. They're they're up. uh, They're going to be visiting his family Mm -hmm. up in Massachusetts, and so it really is going to be my family of five and my parents. So it's just the seven of us, and we're going to sit around the table. Happy holidays. Well, yeah, there's that. There's that. Yeah. Yeah, hey, you're going to get time around the table. Ask your dad. Yeah. Ask your mom about, you know, it, it'd be great. Thanksgiving to... traditions when they were growing up. Yeah. About some of the these events like Kennedy. Now ask them about Kennedy because it's the week of Thanksgiving. Sure. For crying out loud. So, so wait, what, is what it tomorrow? We're... No, no, Thanksgiving. No. No. What? No, Thanksgiving's not tomorrow, you dork. What are you talking about? Yeah, the, 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 uh, we're recording yeah, this on, on Thursday the 21st. the 21st, so it's tomorrow. So tomorrow is the 50th wow. anniversary of the death of JFK. Right. So it'll be in the wake of that. Yeah. But sit down and watch some of these documentaries with your kids. Exactly. Have these conversations and don't, help your... Don't be afraid. Right. Don't right. be afraid. Right. Welcome death as a part of life. Into regular conversation. Welcome sickness. Right? Develop, instead of a fear of bad things, develop a compassion, and which could spur ideas about alleviating that. Did you hear about the 16-year-old kid that developed a, a 50-cent mechanism for detecting if you have pancreatic cancer? Yes. Unbelievable. He started the idea when he was 10 in a biology class. And now he's getting the patent. It costs 50 cents anywhere in the world that it can detect mm-hmm. within like five minutes if you have pancreatic cancer. Wow. Based on which proteins get rid of it. Sure, yeah. It's unbelievable, right? But when we're not exposing our kids to the ugly, ugly things like the worst cancer you can get, pancreatic cancer, mm-hmm. then we're not giving the, them the opportunity, the vision, the drive, the passion, the enthusiasm for actually making a difference in that world. And that's, again, part of what we've tried to do is we want our kids to grow up in this sort of pain-free, conflict-free environment. Germ-free. Because so many of us, uh, especially children during the no-fault era of divorce, grew up with difficult childhoods. Absolutely. And so we want our children to have this sort of idyllic childhood that we didn't have. Yeah. You know, and maybe we were picked on, and so we want to make sure they're never picked on. We, or maybe we were poor, and we didn't want them to have any struggles, exactly. right? But may, you know, maybe we really had to struggle, so we don't want them to struggle. I hear that all the time with clients. Well, I don't I just... want my kids to have to deal with the same kind of things that I dealt with. Mm-hmm. But you want them to have learned the same lessons, just Which without go, without going through the exercises. Yeah. I want them to have big muscles, but I don't want them to have to lift the weights that I had to lift to get them. 
Yeah. It's the analogy that I used yesterday with you. We were talking about this was the that's as dumb as a mother butterfly coming back and picking apart the cocoon. Because I don't want you to have to actually wiggle your way out of that thing. Never mind the fact that you breaking out of the cocoon is how you turn into a butterfly. Because if I open it for you, you will die. Yeah. But we want our kids to have all these coping mechanisms and we just want to wave a little magic wand over them and they will somehow or other mysteriously be imparted to them. And then, of course, we complain about the fact that they want all the perks of being a grown-up without the responsibility. Hmm. Well. Yeah. Now now we've transformed into two grumpy old men. Again. We have become (laughs) curmudgeonly. We are the two Waldorf and what's-his-name on the Muppets Muppets. Muppets. shows. Yes. So so just some, some real simple practical ideas for conversations that you can have while your kids are off school for this Thanksgiving break. Talk about blood and death and violence and gore <laughs> around the Thanksgiving table. That's, well, that's the takeaway. If I could say one thing, you know, we're not going to do this, but uh, our kids do have a tendency to believe that turkeys come from the grocery store. That's true. They don't understand turkeys were actually once living walking around things. Oh, I thought I, I, it was a big deal when I said, all right, dude, put your hand in there. <laughs> you you got to get that gunk out of get there. Get the guts out of there. Get out of it. Get at it. You know? But that's part of it. Like, And that's a simple sort of a low risk it is, thing. Right. Yeah, you're right. That is low risk. Showing your kids the raw stuff. Right. You know, show your kids what a raw turkey looks like and remind them this turkey has given its life. Yeah. So that we can have this feast. And there's no, watch a documentary, right? Uh, yeah. You know, tape one, watch a documentary, you know, on the, of course, it might be too late by the time they're hearing Well, this. then it, it, it will be, uh, December 7th will be just around the corner. True. You True. know, so, yeah. so find something, whether it's about World War II or it's about, you know, something that shows valor, something that shows courage, something that shows death. Heartache. Don't, don't shield yeah, your don't, kids from exactly. the... I, here's, you know what happened last night is a commercial came on about Philippines and uh, the Red oh, yeah. Cross stuff, you know? Yeah, sure. And uh, Some Sarah McLaughlin song singing in the back or something? I, I don't think she's singing about the... Oh, that's the dogs. Yeah, I'm talking about the Philippines, the Philippines. natural disaster. But you know what I mean? Like, they, yes. they play the sad but music it's, but and it was, all that. But it's it very was, moving. Yes, but it was, a, it was a, you know, $10 by texting this thing and, sure. you know, Dad, can I do that? Absolutely, uh-huh. let's do it. Yeah. Right? You know, Find that impulse in your kids, because kids love to they love contribute to, to stuff help. like that. You know, yeah. and one of the great things I just read the other day is this guy was talking about, you know what, there's not been one time in my life when I've ever regretted being generous. Let that just sort of wash over you. Yeah, not one time. So, how about find an activity to be giving, at least, if not serving directly. Yeah. Folks that uh, you wouldn't want your kids hanging around with. Well, and as we go around a table, as most Americans do stereotypically, what are you thankful for this year? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm thankful for you know a new iPad, or I'm thankful for a new car, or I'm mm. thankful for what you know sure. the fact that I make enough money, or whatever. But how about we also acknowledge the fact that previous generations mm. did what they did, so that we can have what we have. Sure. To help your kids understand that we're linked together in a chain. Uh, that extends all the way back to parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. And, and that's one of the things that events like the JFK anniversary can do is, is provide that connection. Yeah. Right? We're all in the same thread here. So I think 
these are some some good conversations. They don't have to be heavy, and it no. doesn't have to be. Now we're going to start to talk about death. You know, it doesn't have to be <laughs> One, some two, three, go, yeah, <laughs> and go. Yeah. But you can begin to incorporate these things in uh, low levels, um, so that when the inevitability happens, when death does happen, and it it it, it will eventually, right. it doesn't. It's not a total stranger. Yeah, you've at least ha- started these conversations now. Yeah, this this Thanksgiving we are spending most of the time with my wife's family, but oh yeah, you're going all over yeah, Texas, Louisiana, Louisiana. Yeah, and you're going to be Alabama and Texas, but we are spending one day to go see my brother-in-law's mother, who my kids have called kind of a surrogate grandma, but mm-hmm. called her grandma for years and yeah. spent holidays with her, but. But she's developed serious, serious cancer, and this mm. may be the last time. And so we're going to make a trip to go out and see her. And she is very, very frail in wheelchair. She right. lost her hair from the chemo that she's doing stuff, right? Yeah. You know? But we're making yeah. an absolute special trip to go see her. And it's going to be awkward. Yes. It's going to be uncomfortable. And that's not the worst thing in the world. And I'm going to coach them and say, go. But I, you know what? Now I don't have to because I, right. I, I've tried. Because and I, my kids will go up right to her and say, hey, Grandma. How yeah. You, doing? you know, and, and but encourage your kids to do that uncomfortable, awkward stuff. And don't let them hide behind your leg. Yeah. You know, just know this is living. Yeah. This is what I'm training you to do. And it's ugly. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's life. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, to mm. uh, You Must Chill. Two guys learn how to calm down so we can grow up and get closer to the people who matter most. We'll talk to you more next week. And have a very happy Thanksgiving.